Okay, good morning everyone. Good to see you. Would you come and grab your seats? If we have not met, my name is Stuart. I'm the leader here at Real Life Church and I want to offer you a very warm welcome this morning. Please um, forgive me, I'm suffering with a little bit of a cold and a sore throat. So if I sound croaky and the like, that's why I don't normally sound like this. Thank you, yeah. Sympathy would be lovely. Gifts would be better. But I'll leave that one with you. Um, I don't know if you were here last Sunday. Last Sunday, we had a fantastic time gathering in here. There are the people who do these, who count for me, tell us there was about 220 of us packed in here, and we saw three people get baptized. Uh, Melanie preached fantastically. If you missed that, catch up with that. It's online on our sermon. And we heard from Pete, and we heard from Julie, and we heard from Nicola. We heard um, their story of how they, um, Jesus had changed their lives and how they came to be here on this Sunday. And then we took them outside, just out there in the quad, and we baptized them. And it was an opportunity to celebrate and enjoy kind of what God had done in their life. And I want to thank those guys and commend them for what they did. It was brilliant to hear their story, to get up and um, share with us. And when you think about baptism, baptism itself is a picture where of us dying to our old way of life and then live, raising to life and living it for Jesus. So when they go down in the water, that's a picture of the grave. They go down, we don't hold them down too long. Although I think one of them, Pete was held down quite a long time, if I remember correctly. Worryingly long. A few seconds longer than I'd have hoped. He came back up, and that's a picture of us rising to life in Christ. And for all of us who've been baptized as followers of Jesus, that's what happened um, to us. It's a picture of what's happened spiritually, enacted physically before our eyes. And it prompts questions that we have to ask ourselves when you see baptisms, when you're a part of it, when people get baptized, when you think about your own baptism. And that is questions of life, questions of what are you living for? What is important to you? What is your life about? If you get to the end of your life and you reflect back, what do you want the answer to those questions to be? It's an interesting thought experiment to contemplate it now. If I got together and I said um, to you, I said, if we, if we interviewed your family, your friends, your colleagues, uh, people you know maybe in the church, and I got them together and said, what is this person's life about? What would they say about you? What would they say about you? What would your friends say? What would your spouse say? What would your kids say? This is what their life is about. Another way to frame the same question would be, if I went to your bank and they gave me access to your bank statement and I look through the transactions there, what would it say about your life? What would it say about what's important to you, what matters to you, how you spend your money? Because it can be a great indicator. What about your diary? If I borrowed your phone or your computer, or if you're really old school, you have a paper diary. Remember filofaxes? One of those things. And you flick through it. What would that say about your life? What would that indicate? What's important? What am I doing? And what could the possible answers be? Could it be that your life is all about your career and moving forward, going up the ladder? Because you seem to spend all your time at work doing those things. Is your life all about the acclamation of possessions? 
I need to get more and more, bigger house, better car, etc., etc. Is your life all about your hobbies and what you kind of devote your spare stroke leisure time to? Is that what your life is about? Is it the pursuit of relationships, great sex and the like, companionship? Is that what you give your time and attention to? And what we're going to look at today is stuff around this issue of if we get to the end of our life, because one of the inevitabilities of life is that it ends. You're welcome. It's not going to get better, by the way. This is just, we're, going, we're on a downward stride. When you get to the end, if you could reflect back, what would you like the answer to that question to be? Because the reality is we're all going to face death. It's coming. I looked up on the internet, on the national statistics for the UK. The average age of men in the UK currently is just over 79 years. For women, it's a little bigger. It's 83 years. Which means that according to statistics, you can judge your life with how far along you are. I'm over halfway. Statistically speaking, I have less of my life left than I have lived. I know you can't tell, but it's true. That's just the way it is. I have. You're now doing the math. So how long does that make him? That's the reality. And the end is coming. It's not a if, it's a when. And so we have to think about this. And what we're going to look at today as we go through our series on the book of Philippians, looking at this theme of joy, today's subject is joy in death. Because it's coming. We've looked at loneliness. We've looked at suffering. Doubt. I don't know what's going to happen after. It's getting worse and worse, isn't it? But we're going to look at joy and death. And we're going to look at the Apostle Paul who is contemplating his own death. Stuck in a Roman prison with the very real threat of execution hanging over him. And actually, what does this mean for him? How does he live in light of it? And how does this theme of joy that runs through the book of Philippians connect to him? And it has great... Um, impact on us because it's something we can all identify with him because it's all coming some of the other things you might think well I've had less or more than that loneliness suffering I'm sure we've all experienced it at some point but death is something all of us are going to face eventually no matter our age no matter our health no matter what we think about in our life it's coming so let's have a look at what Paul says and then we'll try and unpack it and sort of apply it to our lives so I'll put it up on the um, screen behind let me read if you've got a Bible go to Philippians chapter 1 we're going to start reading at verse 19 and then we're going to run through to the end of the chapter this is what it says well actually it's halfway through verse 18 then 19 but it says yes and I will rejoice for I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Christ this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed but that with full courage now as always Christ will be honored in my body whether by life or by death for to me To live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. 
so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come, to, come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that I saw, sorry, that you saw I had and now hear that I still had. All right, let's have a little look at this. Paul, as we've seen, is in prison. He's in prison in Rome, being watched over by Roman soldiers, being shackled up. He is alone and he is suffering. And we've, we've traced that so far. And now he's coming kind of to looking towards the future. What is happening? And the first thing we, the passage tells us is Paul's expectation. Paul's expectation, and that is that Christ would be glorified in his life or death. And he's got two expectations in those first couple of verses. A lesser one and there is a greater one. The first one is, is the lesser expectation is that he will be delivered, it says, Everything will work out for his deliverance. He is expecting to be freed from prison. That is is what his mind is. Um, And the language he used there is because Paul was an Old Testament scholar, so he knew his Old Testament very well. And modern scholars tell us what Paul is doing here is echoing um, the book of Job, where you have this character in the Old Testament, Job, who went through all sorts of suffering, and his so-called friends and comforters came to him and said, The reason you're suffering, the reason you're going through all these problems is because of your sin. And Job said, no, I haven't done anything wrong. I'm right standing before God. And later God comes up and commends uh, Job. And Paul is saying he's in the same thing. He's been unjustly accused. He's put in prison. He's suffering. And though he hasn't done anything wrong, and he expects to be delivered as a result, he is innocent. And the the way it's going to happen, the reason he, he, what he puts his hope in, his expectation is through the Philippians' prayers because they are praying for him as a church. And they're praying that he would be set free. And he says, I know you're praying for me and I expect your prayers to be answers. And then he says, through the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So there's the Holy Spirit there coming to be with him. And he, really, he has a, a sort of a sense of faith in his heart that through their prayers, through the witness of God in his life, he expects to be delivered. So that's what he's looking forward to in the future. He's going to get out of prison. It's going to be all right. But in light of that, he has a greater hope, a greater expectation. And that is whether he lives or dies, that he honors the Lord Jesus Christ. That whatever happens to him, there will be and honoring of Jesus through his life and or death. And it says he doesn't want to be ashamed of that. He says, I want to with full courage face whatever comes. And so there's an allusion there to speaking out about Jesus. We've already learned that he's told all the guards he's chained up to why he's there. So all the palace guard know that he's there because of Jesus. So he's told them. We've also seen that the gospel of Jesus has gone forth throughout outside the prison. So he's saying, I'm going to carry on boldly proclaiming Jesus to anyone who is with me, anyone who will listen. Now as always, he says, because from the moment of his conversion way back in the book of Acts, 
when he met the risen Jesus himself and was converted from a Christian hater, a Christian murderer, to a follower of Jesus himself, he has always proclaimed the Lord. He said, I'm just going to continue that no matter what happens. He says, regardless of whether I live and I'm freed from prison or I die here, I am going to continue to proclaim Jesus. That is his hope and expectation. That is what he's going to do. It's all about Jesus, and I'm going to focus in on him. Surprise, surprise, that reading this section of Paul, it all comes back to Jesus. It's an exercise for your own study to go through the first chapter of Philippians that will have finished by the end of this sermon and count how many times he mentions Christ. His life is all about Jesus. I, I worked out, I think it's almost every other verse, but you have a look. Underline them in your Bible. Find out. Paul is a man who is devoted to Jesus, and he puts his hope and his expectation on that. Whatever happens to me, I'm going to be all about Jesus, that he would be glorified in my life and or my death. Then we come to the next section, which is an interesting one, which is Paul's preference. He's got an expectation. I'm going to be freed from prison. I'll come back to you in Philippi. So then we get Paul's preference. We get this staggering verse in verse 21, which is probably the key verse of the section and maybe one of the key ones of the whole letter, where he simply says, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And then Paul goes on and starts musing. Musing about, you know, kind of, it's almost like he's taking an excursion and the inner monologue that's in his head comes out on the page. For us. What happens if I live? What happens if I die? Which one's better? Mm, which one would I choose if I was in that situation? Which one would be more beneficial for me? And we see Paul's indecision that comes out. He says, so if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I can't tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that's better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. And so what he's saying is he's thinking through the options. He's going, right, what's going to happen to you? I'm in prison. I could get out. That's great. Um, which means I carry on serving Jesus. I carry on preaching the gospel. I carry on planting churches. Or they kill me. They execute me. But that means I get Jesus. I actually get him for myself. The one I've been pursuing all my life, the one I've dedicated my life to following and serving, I finally get him. It is like the culmination of his lifelong passion. He will finally receive. No longer will he be running a race after something. Finally, he will have finished the race and received the prize, which for him is Christ. And so he says, to live is Christ, but to die is gain, because I get him. And so he puts these two things together. And the irony is he has no choice in this, being in prison awaiting execution. The outcome is out of his control. But he still ponders before God and says, well, which one? If I stay, I carry on being fruitful in my labor. I carry on serving God. I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. I'll carry on doing that. Or do I go? I die and I be with Christ. And he says, actually, for me, I would prefer to go and be with Christ because that is the fruition of all I've done. That is the, 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 the outcome of my life. I finally get to go and be with my Lord and Savior and be with him forever. 
He doesn't expect that to be the case because we go and look in verse 25. He actually expects to return to Philippi. He respects to return to them and say, actually, I'm going to come back to you as a church. I'm going to see you progressing in the faith. And even that is all for Jesus' glory. He says that you're going to have a response. You're going to be able to glorify Jesus as a result. That's what I think is coming. But if it doesn't come, I'm quids in. It's better for me because I get to go and be with Jesus forever. And so for Paul... He says, to live is Christ, which means that's all his life's about. That's all he's ever been about since his conversion. I just, I follow Jesus in everything. I've given up everything for Jesus. I've suffered for Jesus. I've been lonely for Jesus. We've seen these things. That is what my life is about. But then it says, to die is gain. He will have finally gotten his prize. And why is death gain for Paul? Well, there's a few things as we read our Old T- uh, New Testament we can find out. For a start, when we die as believers, it says we're made perfect. It says that in Hebrews 12. Spirits are made perfect. No longer will we have the inward battle with sin. Sin will be dealt with. It will be gone away. No longer will there be that inward conflict. No longer will we have sin's presence around us in the world having to deal with it. It's temptations. We will be made perfect. It will be removed from us. When we die, there'll be no more pain, it says in Revelation 21. No more crying, no more tears, no more pain, no more death. It will have all gone. And this current order will have passed away and a new order will have come. So death is gain in that sense. It says in 2 Corinthians 5 that we will be at home with the Lord. No longer this restlessness of this world that isn't how it should be. And everything's not quite how it should be. And that yearning for something beyond. It says that God has put eternity in the hearts of man. That disconnection with this present frail world will be gone. Because we will be in eternity forever with Jesus. It will be like, if you've ever, who's camped here? Yeah, great experience, isn't it? Living in this tent and trying to, you know, this temporary accommodation. That's what this life is like. It's the difference between living in a tent day by day and then going to move into a permanent home. That's what, that's what the Bible says. This life is like that. It's temporary. It may feel a long time, but it's temporary compared to eternity. And Paul says in a later letter, when we go home to be with the Lord, there'll be a permanent dwelling place for us forever. And finally, we even see here, why is death game? Because we get to be with Jesus. We get to see him face to face. We get to dwell in eternity with him forever, exploring the new heavens and the new earth where it will be perfect. And we will be surrounded by the glory of God and worship him and spend eternity getting to know the depths of his mercy and his love and his grace. So Paul can say with total confidence, for me to live is Christ. This is what my life is all about here. But actually, to die is gain. To die is better. And the final thing we see from this passage is Paul's appeal. Paul's appeal. Having said all this, having gone through this, saying, actually, I expect to come and be with you. I expect to return to you. But even if I don't, Actually, for me, it's better. I'm going to die. But he says, he makes an appeal to the church in Philippi. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Live a life, this life you're in now, 
which we don't know how long it's going to be. We don't know when it's going to end. You can run the stats, but we're still not sure. He says, live a life worthy. Emulate me, effectively saying, because that's what Paul has done. Live a life worthy of the gospel that you've been called to. Again, it all comes back to Jesus. Live that life. Now, what Paul's playing on here for the church in Philippi is um, their citizenship. Because as we said when we started this um, series, Philippi was this city in modern-day Greece, But because of some historical um, shenanigans to do with battles and the like, it had been granted um, Roman citizenship. So it was a colony of Rome. So the citizens of Philippi were Roman citizens, had legal rights, Roman laws. It's, It's as if they were like living in Rome, even though they were in Philippi. And Paul is saying, and there would be, Paul is saying, like that. Like the, the, the Roman citizens, you know, you're in Philippi, you are citizens of heaven. You have a greater citizenship, so live in a manner worthy of that. Live like that. Because they would have been facing opposition. We know opposition has come. It's mentioned through the book. We don't actually know what it is, but we can speculate. Because uh, Philippi would have been this Roman uh, colony, they would have honored the emperor like they did in Rome. They worshipped him. He was considered godlike, And so he was praised in that way. And what would the church have said? Well, actually, who's God? Jesus is. There's only one Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so you can see a natural collision course between those two worldviews. And it was very likely the church in Philippi were facing opposition for that because they wouldn't proclaim the emperor as Lord. No, he's not. We'll honor the emperor, we'll follow his laws, we'll live as good citizens in the world, as the Bible says we should do, but actually we're not going to proclaim him Lord because we've already got one. And our Lord is greater and mightier than Caesar is. And Paul is saying, live in a manner worthy of that, even when you're facing opposition, even when the suffering comes. And Paul knows about that, he's in prison for it. He's told the, the church there to suffer through it. He says, live a life worthy of it. And he says a couple of things to help them earth it. He says, first of all, you need to be unified as a church. You need to be together on this. He says, stand firm, not giving ground. The idea there is when you stand firm, not giving ground, it's an exhortation. It, it involves energy and it involves doing something. You can sort of stand a bit kind of relaxed and... <laughs> This is more standing firm, locking your legs, bringing your feet in, dropping your shoulder. I'm not being moved. No matter what comes against me, I will stand up against it. And he says, you need to stand firm. This requires energy, church. You need to do this. And it says you've got to do it in one mind. You've got to be together on this. You've got to be thinking about the same things. You've got to be in one spirit. You've got to be all on the same page going forward together which will account for everything else he's written about being under the lordship of Christ and suffering well and standing by one another. And he says we've got to strive. We can't just sit around and do this. It's not going to happen by accident. We're going to move forward together in this. So you need to be a unified church. When opposition comes, you need to stand together and with one voice say, no, there is only one God. His name is Jesus. There is no other. Caesar doesn't count Any other religious figure doesn't count. Any other so-called God doesn't count. It's only Jesus. 
So they're to be unified together in their message and their standing before a watching world. And then he says at the end, they are to suffer well. He says, for it has been granted, which basically means to give generously, that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. We looked at suffering last time. If you missed that, go catch it up. But Paul is basically saying your suffering is a generous gift from God. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. I told you it was going down. Thank you, Lord, that you are to suffer well for him. As Christ suffered, you also will suffer for the gospel. As the world comes and tries to squeeze you and take you away, there will be opposition for your sake. Paul himself is just a living example for them. I'm in prison. I know what this is like. I know what's coming. And they too are going to face this same conflict, he says. Paul was wrongly accused, wrongly imprisoned, transported to Rome. People came after him, tried to kill him. He says, the conflict that I'm in is the conflict you're in. And you're going to face this same opposition and they are to suffer well as a church. And he's saying, when this comes, when this difficulty comes, stand firm, be unified, and live a life worthy. Don't let oppression, don't let injustice cause you to live in a way that wouldn't honor Jesus. Jesus, And Jesus himself is the model for us. When he was accused, he was beaten, he was mocked. He humbled himself under God's hand, gave himself over to God's purposes, acting in a way that was godly, prayed for those who were beating him, even killing him, showed them love, offered forgiveness, all these things that we are to do. And Paul is saying that is the life you are to live. And even if that then in turn leads to death like Paul is facing, that is how we are to live. And so for us here now, there's a couple of questions I just want us to process together to sort of try and earth this. And the first one is, what are you living for now? Are you living for Jesus or is it something else? What is the focus of your life? What is the priority of your life? What are you giving most time and attention to? If you're not a Christian here, then I can answer that question very easily for you. It's not Jesus. It's something else. And I commend you. I urge you. I encourage you to do something about that today. Live a life for Jesus. Jesus was who he said he was. God the Son come to earth. He was perfect in every way. The Bible just says that's called sinless. Even those who accuse him couldn't find anything to actually label him with because he was perfect. He lived this perfect life. He died on a cross in our place for our sin. We're rebels, the Bible says, before God. We have rebelled against him. We hate him. We belittle him. And that needs punishment. We all know wrong needs punishment. Just have to look at the news. We see injustice and we, think, we cry out for someone needs to sort this situation out. And it's the same with us. And God did send it out, sort it out by sending his son who died in our place, took the punishment we deserve. He then rose from death victorious and said, actually, you can receive forgiveness through me. He then ascended into heaven, sent his Holy Spirit on the church. And the message has been going forward for hundreds and hundreds of years ever since. And if you don't know Jesus today, you need to come to him. You need to repent of your sin. You need to say, I put my faith and trust in you, Lord. And choose to follow him all the days of uh, my life. 
We'll baptize you. We'll teach you. We'll train you. We'll love you. We'll bring you into the community. But that is what you need to do today. If you want to know more about that, come and grab me at the end. I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to pray with you and work that kind of thing through. But if you're a believer here, what are you living for? What are you, is giving your time and attention to? If you had a few moments where your mind kind of just starts to wander, what does it wander to? That's a good indication of what you're living for. What is consuming your thoughts at the moment, even as this bloke drones on at the front? Where is your mind gone? <laughs> I know that didn't happen to you because you're far too attentive, but you know, just say it did. Where's it gone to? It gives you an indication of what your life is about. What are you living for? Because I, I, I submit to you today, if it's not for Jesus, then you're wasting your life. If it's not for his plans and his purposes, then you are building on foundations of sand that will one day come to nothing. Paul says in another letter that actually all our works will be judged. Everything we do will be judged by fire. And only things for eternity will last. Everything else will get burnt up and will come to nothing. And so the question is, what are you building for? What are you building your life on? What are you committing to? How are you living your life? And the second question then is, are you ready to die well? Because Paul says for him to live is Christ, but to die is gain. It's a when, not an if. It's coming, church. And for us as a as real life church, we haven't been going that long. We've not really had to deal with this. As far as I know, we haven't had a real life church funeral, but it's coming. And it's not going to be the people you expect. It's coming to all of us, and we're all going to die. I once heard my role as the pastor of the church described as, you are to prepare your people for death. That's my job, to teach you and train you, because one day you're going to die, and you're going to stand before Christ for eternity. And he is going to judge us and judge our works and what we've done. Now, thank goodness, if we become Christians, we know that we have an advocate in heaven. But actually, are you ready for that? Are you ready for it in your life at the moment? Are you living in such a way? Take areas of life. Have you been baptized if you're a believer here? If not, why not? Jesus said do it. And then he did it. Just to show you in case you were going to miss it. Well, I'll do it. You know, it's like when you, I used to teach five-year-olds. You have to break it down for them. And he teaches us like that. Jesus, I love you. Watch. Now you do it, okay? If you're not a believer, if you're a believer here and you haven't been baptized, get baptized. Come and talk to us. We'll get a date in the diary and get you wet. Do that. What about reading the Bible and praying? We've been banging on about it all year. The only way you can get around it is you literally just turned up and think, I didn't know about that. Fine. The rest of you, no excuse. Read your Bible and pray every day because it's all about Jesus. It's all about him. It's how you learn and you grow as a disciple. It's how you discover the things that he's teaching you and training you in. It's how you deal with the things of life like loneliness and suffering and death that we're dealing with now. It's how you do this. It's how you learn about how to be a believer, how to be a good husband and father and wife, etc. Do that. Don't make excuses. 
It's how you prepare for death well. Read your Bible now. Use your gifts. Whatever God's called you to do, workplace and gifts you've got, use them for his glory. This week, I was on Thursday, I was with a bunch of leaders from our church kind of movement and we were praying and fasting together for the day. And in one of the sessions, we were to pray for people in our churches who worked in certain areas. And they had certain stations around the room. And we prayed for teachers and we prayed for people who worked in the medical profession and we prayed for people who worked in the arts and other things. And we had to go around and we had to pray for them in what they do, where they spend most of their life. And one of the things they said at the end is said, if you know people in your church who work in those particular industries, send them a text to encourage them. If you got a text from me on Thursday, that's why. Because I was praying for you and praying that this is what you do for most of your life. You're out in the job, kind of nine to five, doing what you're doing. Do it for Jesus. Make it him the reason you're there. Yes, you need to earn a wage. Yes, you need to do a good job, but be good at your job for him. If you're a Christian teacher, a Christian doctor, a Christian finance expert, be the best one you can for him. Use your gifts and your skills to serve his kingdom there the best you can by honoring your boss, honoring your colleagues, working ethically, and do what you can to transform that place and point it to Jesus. What about your money? You can't take it with you. (laughs) We did a series on this sometime last year called What's in Your Wallet. If you missed it, go back and listen to it because money is such a huge thing we have to deal with. I remember the story of the rich man, a super wealthy person, um, and he died and someone said at his funeral, how much did he leave behind? And the person said, all of it. Because that's the reality. If you live the acclamation of money, guess what? At your death... It's all gone. It just gets left behind. Someone else has it. Now, we can send it on ahead by using it for God's kingdom, by blessing others, serving the poor, giving the church, etc., etc. But how do you use your money? Prepare for death now by using your money wisely, wisely in what you do. What about things God may have called you to that look scary and kind of beyond yourself and thought, I can't do them because they're just, they're too risky. It would require, require much of me. It would require giving up something. It would require stepping out. It would require risking my reputation or my finances or my security. Get ready for the end by doing that now. You don't want to get to the end and look back and have regrets. I should have spoken up. I should have stepped out. I should have gone on that trip. I should have gone to that place. I should have made that that opportunity to do that. No one at the end of their life says, do you know what? I should have spent more time at the office. (laughs) They don't. Find out what God's calling you to do and go do it. What about members of your family, friends who you know don't know Jesus and you love them lots and you want them to know? Have you actually had a conversation with them about Jesus? Have you actually spoken to them Are you helping them prepare for death so they may live and die well like you? Have an opportunity. Take that risk. Take that chance because it's coming. Just to speak to a a couple of situations for people here. I don't know where you find yourself in your life at this point over this subject because death is not a subject we like to talk about. Um, it's something in our culture which we have sanitized and put away. It wasn't that long ago, historically speaking, where everyone died at home. That never, 
very rarely happens now. We send them to hospices and hospitals and it's removed. And we don't see it, but it's coming. It's coming for all of us. And there are some of you in here who fear death, who really fear death and are hugely uncomfortable by this sermon we're having now. And I just, if you're in that situation, and you might not be, be ill yourself, you just know that you are, it's coming and it's terrifying you. Or maybe you're fearing on behalf of a member of your family, children, and so on. Maybe there's a history in your family and you just think, this is going to happen to me or this is going to ha- happen. I just want to, we're going to pray for you at the end and we're going to pray and break that off. That actually we have no reason to fear death as followers of Jesus. Yeah, it's not pleasant, it can be painful, but ultimately the fear of death has been removed because the consequences of death, eternal separation of God, have been dealt with in Christ. And if you know that's you, I'm going to ask you to stand at the end. We're going to stand up, close our eyes, and I'm going to pray that you would know freedom from that. There'll be some of you in this room who are actually facing it now due to health-related issues which is just horrible. I had a very close, minor brush with this a couple of years ago that ran, really brought it home to me what it could be like. Excuse the crudity of the story, but I'm, a couple of years ago, I started weeing blood. Pretty terrifying. I went to the doctors. They kind of looked at me and sent me straight to the hospital to get a scan. Um, they put cameras where cameras should never be put on a man. Just saying. Been there. Then they sent me to have a, another scan when I had to lie down on one of those things. They gave me something and they injected me with something so it would show up on the monitor. I felt nauseous and sick. And through that period, it's about six weeks that whole period took, I was terrified thinking, is this the, I was contemplating my own mortality because I just didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know what they were going to find. I just didn't know. And I went through that period of like, Lord, if, is this your time to call me home? You know, is this it? I, I had a wife. I got two kids. It's just like, what's going on? It turned out to be nothing um, for them to deal with and it's, I've been fine ever since. But there was that moment in life where you're suddenly facing <coughs> your own mortality and I know many of you have faced something way bigger than that. But if you're facing that now, I'd love to pray for you as well. I'd love to pray for your healing, <laughs> first and foremost, because that's amazing. But, or I should say, however, Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead. What happened to Lazarus? He died. Healings are good. Miracles are good. We love them. But guess what? You get healed, you die. That's the way it is. Unless Jesus comes back. But you're going to die. And so I want to pray for your healing. But I also want to pray that what you face, you face it with grace. You face it with joy. That actually at the end of it, you get Christ. And although you may be facing it imminently, we're all facing it. And some of us won't get that much notice. Some of you will get, look out for that bus, bang. And that'll be all the notice you get. And so we need to live well and be ready to die well as a church. Some of you are facing it on behalf of others. You know people in your family, friends, who are suffering and facing death. I'd love to pray for you that you can be a witness in that place to bring words of comfort and hope to those who are suffering. Some of you will have faced it in the past. You would have lost loved ones and um, family members and friends over the years. And even when you lose them at the end of life, when they've lived a good life, I remember burying my grandparents and they were 
old and they followed Jesus and there was a time of celebration. It was still utterly painful. And bearing someone earlier than that can just be devastating. I'd love to pray for you too that you would know God's peace as you process that because we are to mourn with those who mourn. Life is not always roses, kitten paws and unicorns. <laughs> it's hard, it's tough, it's difficult and involves suffering. And so I want to pray now for us, pray for you, that we would know, like the Apostle Paul, joy in death. Not as a death wish, not as a we long for it, we want to die. No, no, that's not what it is. But actually we would know that actually that to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Because we get the object of our desire, we get the object of our affections, which is Christ himself. So maybe you want to stand up. And let me just pray for us. And I think there's a moment here where the Spirit's going to do some work in our hearts. I think the Spirit's going to come and realign some of our priorities. I think the Spirit's going to come and break off some lies some of you may have believed about life, about death, about the future. I think there are some of you here who might even be contemplating taking your own life. That's a very real thing in this day and age. We've got a, rec- a kind of a increased awareness of mental health-related issues in this society, and there is a wider conversation going on about it, which can be good to help us process our feelings that people don't just suffer in silence. But actually, people, even despite that, there are people who feel lonely and feel isolated and feel under pressure that actually suddenly taking of one's own life feels like an option. I want to urge you, commend you today, don't do it. Talk to someone. Talk to us. We'll do what we can to help, to pray for you, to put you, you some professional help. But don't, please don't suffer in silence. Don't think that there is a community of believers here who don't care. We care. We love you. We don't want to lose you. We're for you and we want you to live this life well following Jesus. So maybe you just want to close your eyes. If any of that's kind of connected with you, just raise your hands. And I'm just going to pray for the Spirit of God to come um, on us now. And he'll do his work. I hope my prayers, he guides my prayers well for you. But even if he doesn't, you just know that the Spirit of God is here and he's working and he wants to deal with you. So Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the Lord of life. Lord, we thank you that you broke the power of death, that you disarmed the principalities and power, that you paid the price, you paid the wages of sin, which was death. You did that. And then you came back and said, job done. Lord, we thank you for that that as we face our own mortality and our death, we have nothing to fear of the consequences of sin because you've dealt with it. And death is merely just the next step to eternity with you. Lord Jesus, we thank you and we praise you for that. The Bible even describes death. It uses the, the language of sleep. It's something like that, which is, it can be a peaceful, beautiful thing. That actually, that actually that's what we go through and pass through. Lord, we thank you that after death we will be with you forever. 
that we will be perfect. We will be at home. There will be no more crying, no more suffering, no more tears. <laughs> and we will be with the community of saints and you forever in the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem, Lord Jesus. We, we look forward to that day that is coming, Lord Jesus. We look forward to our heavenly home. We look forward to all that that means. If you're here and you're not a believer, I urge you now just to make that commitment to Jesus, to turn away from living your own life, to turn away from sin, to put your faith and trust in him, to repent. Just, do, just speak that out to him. For those of us here who fear death in a way that grips you, that even talking about now is just making you scream inside your head, I've got to get away from here. Holy Spirit, okay, I pray you come and bring peace to those people. I pray you break off lies, Lord Jesus. I pray you show them the truth of your word that says to live is Christ, to die is gain, Lord Jesus. We thank you that you have gone through it once so you can speak with authority to us about it. Lord, I pray for those even now who are facing death themselves through sickness in their body. First of all, Lord, I pray for healing. If you're sick and you need healing, just put your hands on where it hurts and I'm just going to pray that the Spirit of God will come and bring healing to you, bring release. Lord God, I pray for healing on your people. I pray you would pour out that healing now on them, that we would know freedom from sickness, from chronic um, ailments, long-term ailments, bodies gone wrong, bodies in breakdown and decline, Lord. I pray for that, that you would bring life and health. Lord God, however, even if we do get healed now, our body is still (laughs) falling apart, slowly dying. And Lord, we pray that we would be a people who would face death well. We would mourn well, we would live well, and ultimately we would die well before you. For those of you who are facing the death of loved ones, or have just faced the death of loved ones. Lord, we pray for your peace to be on them. We pray you give them grace to mourn with those who mourn. Mourning and weeping and crying is a biblical act. It is something we should do. We should weep and we should express every emotion we can to God. We shouldn't hold it in. It's good to cry and wail and express frustration and anger and hurt and just get it all out. If that's you, do not hold it back. And for those of you here who are contemplating your own life, taking of it, God, we pray for your peace to come. We, we say to the enemies that you have no place here. You have no place on their life. You have no claim on their life. Lord, we come, we break off lies, we break off condemnation. Lord, we ask you raise them up. God, we ask you help us as a church know how to serve people like that who are suffering. Lord, we ask you give them boldness of courage to say, this is where I am. I even had my brother phone me up just a couple of weeks ago after a suicide he'd been involved in. He just said, Stu, are you having suicidal thoughts? You need to tell me if you are. I wasn't. But he asked, and that was good. I asked him back, how you do it? We need to have those conversations. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you that you are the Lord of life. We want to thank you that you have conquered death. Lord, we want to thank you that...
whenever it comes for us, we know that we are going to be with you forever. And Lord, I pray you make us a church that handles it well, that handles life well, but handles death well. Lord Jesus, whether it comes through natural causes, where it comes through accidents, where it comes through even opposition and persecution, Lord, let us be those people, Lord, and we say we love you and we praise you. I'm now going to hand over to the worship leader who's got to pick up from that. Pray for them. We're going to worship Jesus because right now we have breath in our body. And one day that's going to go. But while we've got it here, let's live for Christ. In our singing and our praising and our lives and our work and our families, let's live for him with everything we've got. God's people said, amen, amen.